Hello, and welcome to How to Start Up, a podcast for anyone starting a company in 2020. This is a collection of conversations with people who have all successfully started, run, and even sold their own companies, sharing not only professional but personal experiences on what we should be doing now, next, or never. In this episode, we hear from Hugo Chance, founder of Chance Capital. He talks to us about the importance of knowing what you're really working towards, both personally and professionally. Also, how to communicate your value, worth and payment terms to clients and who best to seek advice from. Hi, Hugo. How are you? Very well. Very well. Thank you. It would be wonderful if you could give us a brief introduction as to who you are and your company and what it is you do. Sure. So... Hi, uh, my name is Hugo Chance. I run Chance Capital Limited, which is a corporate advisor broker. And in a nutshell, what we do is we advise and raise capital for early stage businesses in the UK. Amazing. Why was it that you started your own company? Um, I've always wanted to start my own venture. I was never quite sure what that might look like or what what sector it would be in. Um, at one stage, I thought it might even be food. I've always loved um, cooking and food. And with my surname, I thought maybe I could launch a restaurant called Fat Chance. But I think that was <laughs> uh, maybe a bit of a pipe dream. Uh, but I actually fell into starting my own business, not not by accident, but I think all the all the stars aligned in terms of me leaving a investment bank and actually being personally in a position where I thought, look, there are. I could make up a number of reasons why not to do this. Um, but I think, you know, there's never been a better time. Uh, and at the back of my mind, I'd, I'd always wanted to do my own thing. And given that I'd been in venture capital at that stage for around six years, I thought, you know, I, I know it well enough now. I've got a good book of contacts and um, I'm going to give it a go. So it really felt like the natural sector to move forward with. Yes, I think so. I mean, I think um, by that stage, <clears throat> six six uh, years on or so from starting out in in venture capital, uh, I had a, a, a reasonable grasp of of the business. Um, I uh, had, a, as I mentioned, a, a relatively good book of contacts, and I think I'd really kind of found my footing, found what I was comfortable in. And you enjoyed it, presumably, as well. I enjoyed it. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, which is obviously a key a key element to any, doing any any job, any starting any business is uh, having a passion for it. So, day one, what did you do first, or sort of pre day one? Did you see it sort of coming, looming at you, or is it suddenly you woke up one morning and it's like today's the day? Um, day one was after three months of gardening leave which was very welcome over the summer period. <laughs> and so I did have, which was actually fantastic because I did have several months to prepare. And also because <clears throat> I was doing very much the same role as I was employed to do at the investment bank, uh, I wasn't too daunted in that I could, by and large, hit the ground running. Of course, there's always that anxiety, anticipation of, Oh my goodness! Who on earth, you know, are people going to come with me? Are they going to? Are, are investors even going to pick up the phone, answer emails, or is this a completely nuts idea? But to be honest, I when I when I left and I emailed all my contacts, I was really quite flattered. Around ninety percent of them replied, uh, saying that they wanted to keep in touch and 
and obviously encourage anyone to do that um, after leaving a role is to is to to stay in touch with as many of your past contacts as possible, even if they're in different sectors. So keep people updated with what you're up to and where you are. And- exactly, and I think there's again there's that that day one or in the lead up to day one there's always that anxiety of um you know the fake it till you make it i'm not saying that's that's the case uh, <laughs> with everyone but i think there's that people p- perhaps you know a bit like in job interviews big themselves up a little bit more or but inside very often are feeling goodness am i uh, am i up to the task can i deliver can i do this and all those kind of all those doubts that may creep in. It gives your imposter syndrome some air. Exactly. And what does it mean to you to run your own company now, four years in? Top of the list is independence. The the thought of going back into employment now, honestly, fills me with dread. Um, and I even have nightmares about it sometimes. Still? Um, well, just uh, I think being answering to someone else apart from myself, and again, it's not for everyone, but Personally, I think that autonomy and that independence of being able to focus on what deals, what mandates I choose to take on is is such a privilege and also not being bound by contracts to seniors or, or, or shareholders where, you know, small things like, you know, holiday days per year. I often forget that, you know, most people only have whatever it is, 25 to 30 days or less. Um uh, so just little things of that that freedom to really broad, broadly that freedom to take on um, what you want to take on and, and to really manage your time yourself. Of course, there comes responsibility with that, but but also a real privilege and joy just to a do something hopefully that you have a passion for. Um, but but again, to have that independence to do it on your own terms, I think for me that's the that's the best thing. And what does success look like to you now you're running your own company? Success for me uh, looks like more freedom. Yeah. You can very easily chase the the next paycheck, the next big deal, which of course, you know, that's absolutely fine. And one should be encouraged to pursue that, you know, financial gain, which is which is great, but but also not to be for your vision not to be dwarfed by that. And actually for me, again, that's you know, pushing forward and and growing and um, uh, trying to get deals over the line is so that I can have more autonomy and more freedom. Um, but of course, you have to strike the right balance. It can't all be fun and games. Knowing what you're working towards is very important. I very often like to think of it as a bit of a you know a, a plane journey. So you're you're taking off from one location, and your aim is to get to another. And what are the things that you need to do along those along the way, the waypoints that will allow you to deliver that 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 journey? That's a really nice analogy, actually, because you don't know what the weather's going to be like up there sometimes, and you don't know what's going to come your exactly. way. Exactly. Yeah. And to you know, in business plans, very often it's a generic IPO or trade sale, but but actually personally to know what you're working towards. What do you want to get out of it? Is it financial gain? Is it independence? So I think that's an important thing to consider. I think it's a really important point. It's something I found previously where I'd been my professional self and my personal self and they'd been quite separate. Now they're one and the same. So any vulnerabilities laid bare, any insecurities laid bare, your strengths, your weaknesses, you have to 
be responsible for all of it. And I was, I mean, I was going to ask you next, what is it you enjoy the most about being self-employed? And I think we know that it's the freedom, but what is it that you enjoy the least about this responsibility you now have? I think with that responsibility of being both the CEO and the T-boy and everything in between, you have, um, and whilst I, I, I take on um, a small number of staff as consultants, by and large, I'm doing 90% of the legwork. Um, I probably need to look at my own management structure personally, but I, I think that you you have so many plates spinning. You know, you're trying to very often, certainly at the beginning stages of starting a business, make sure the website's online, you know, manage finances, accounting, um, quite aside from running the business in terms of new leads, current clients, making sure they're paying on time trying to get deals over the line. You know, there's a myriad of things that you need to do all at once. And so time management I found to be, or at least managing tasks, I found to be quite, at times, quite a headache. Um, I think some people naturally be a lot better than others. Uh, But I think, you know, again, with that autonomy and freedom, you don't have, um, you know, certainly when you're starting out, which you would have a at a company, perhaps an IT department to sort out if your website or email gets a virus or things like this, which you previously might have taken for granted. And then all of a sudden you've got a major headache because you can't, you know, you've got to completely take your eye off the ball from conducting day-to-day business to solve a problem, which just, you know, appeared seemingly out of nowhere. So it's things like that, which I found um, are the biggest challenge uh but it is is part and parcel again of that uh of that independence you're a sort of jack and master of all trades from the get-go yeah and that's yeah. yeah and i think you mentioned in a previous conversation we had about being a busy fool that you can busy yeah. yourself but actually you've got to be really acutely aware of where you're spending your time yeah i think again that efficiency of um of of where you're focusing your time is is really important um again i'm always you know it kind of makes me um amuses me when people say that oh they're really really busy um but busy doing what busy efficiently busy getting deals over the line or 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 conducting trade or or actually just busy because it makes them feel better that they're busy but actually you know it's not necessarily getting much done um and i think again yeah being being a, a busy fool is very easy but actually making sure that uh, every every email every phone call every meeting that you have um there is a reason to it a very clear reason and most importantly there's a follow-up um you know the number of meetings that i've been to where um there's been a failure to follow up um, in the early days, and now I, I, I make a, uh, I make a, a, a really kind of clear point at the end. Right, what needs to be done from here, and who's going to do it, and by when. What was the best piece of advice given to you when you first started, and by who? I think it was actually my 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 dad gave me a pretty good bit, bit of advice. It was before I started, but. Um, a while ago, just in terms of networking and the business that I'm in, which, as I mentioned, is is raising capital for 
for small early stage businesses. I'm meeting um, in non-lockdown times. I'm you know meeting lots of lots of different people every day, and I think he told me to write down what you talked about and something distinctive about them, like they had a funny tie or whatever it may be. When you obviously input their information into your uh, database, if you come to speak to them in a year's time, you can say, oh, yes, we met at so-and-so place at this date. And if you remember, we talked about X. It was quite a good bit of advice, actually. And when you were starting out, I mean, I've definitely felt that I've asked a lot of people for a lot of advice. Who was it that you found was the the best sounding board for you at the beginning? As I mentioned, I had three months of gardening leave. And so I had three months really to uh, get all my ducks in a row. And I used that time to speak to as many people as possible. And I would really encourage anyone to do that. Um, who who they respect doesn't necessarily have to be in the same sector, but just to really bounce some ideas off people and to um, to gauge their thoughts on everything from what IT systems to use to how to structure the business, perhaps. And, and I think one thing that we've talked about before is advice from people. Very often, those who are closest to you in terms of perhaps even family might give you biased advice in terms of they want to you know, they're protective of you. They they want to see you succeed, of course. But I think you've got to really go with your gut and feel, go with the confidence that you have in yourself because very often they might give you the wrong advice. That was one thing I really found useful is speaking to people who know you directly through business um, and can steer you in the right direction or give you their thoughts on what they think you should do. Uh, what you should do. And a broad spectrum by the sounds of it as well, not just sticking to your own industry. Yes, exactly. I think speaking to to any entrepreneur is always useful because everyone has a different experience uh, and really start to form your own basis and understanding of what may work, what may not, and how to go about it. The other mantra I'm a big fan of is fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And and that is so true, certainly at startup stage. You can never fail to put too much preparation into your business. And I think that includes speaking to as many people as possible. How do you draw boundaries around being your own boss, potentially working from home sometimes and that work-life balance? Do you ever take a day off? Um, I do. <laughs> Perhaps even too many. No, I... I uh, I think for me, and this, again, this perhaps is, is is just the way that I operate is I know what needs to be done as and when. So I don't create work for myself if I don't believe it's not necessary or appropriate. So for me, weekdays and weekends, it can be interchangeable. And I work really hard on a Sunday, but not that hard on a Monday. But it, I, I do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. And part of that for me is being very transparent with with clients from the get-go about what they should expect from me. You know, they are my client. They are retaining me to deliver advice and a service. And I need to deliver on that. But there's a very clear, again, from the get-go, very clear what I will be delivering and when and the process that hopefully leads to a point of raising capital for them. Transparency and an understanding as best you can from the start, you can't really go wrong with that. 
where things get complicated and tricky is where you haven't been detailed enough. Because ultimately that would also take far more time to fix. Exactly. And what wouldn't you do again if you could go back? I think um, what I wouldn't do is it's quite specific to my business. It was quite tentative with asking for a retainer fee. And they they saw straight through that and they said, no, we'll only pay you on success, which basically means we'll only pay you when you raise money. Uh, and then invariably I got messed around by a couple of clients and the whole process of capital raising takes months and months. So I was working for nothing. And so I think that really mm. strengthened my resolve to go, no, my advice is worth something. You know, I've spent the last kind of 10 plus years building up this network of of investors. They know me. I'm, I've got, you know, hopefully finger on the pulse of what's going on in the in the venture capital market. You know, there's, there's worth there. And I think you've got to be resolute in this is my worth. This is what my fees are. This is what I'm going to charge. Um, actually, I, I had one quite quite amusing uh, uh, situation, uh, and I won't mention the client's name, a couple of years ago where um, I said, look, we, we charge a retainer and we, sis- we insist on that because we're giving advice and this process can take months. And it's to show, if nothing else, commitment from the client's side towards the process and the value we're bringing, and they said, "Oh no, we're we're not really comfortable about that." You know, we we'd rather just pay on success of you raising the money. I said, "That's fine. That's your prerogative, but that's how we work." And um, anyway, so I that was that. Put the phone down. The next day, I got a call from the same business saying, "Well, look, we've had a discussion with the board." And um, we're happy to to pay your retainer. And the number that they came up with was double what I would have actually asked for in the first instance. So goodwill out. <laughs> so goodwill out. So I think I mean, it's not always going to be the case. But again, sticking to your guns and, and knowing your worth and being resolute about it. You know, and you will have people seeing that you thinking you're a startup, you're early stage, and they will try and take advantage of that. And I had that numerous times. But actually every time you know, I got messed around a few times, it took took a few times for me to learn. But actually every time I said to myself, Hugo, do not let that happen again. And I and I and I learned the lesson eventually. Um and I think people respect it. And you know your worth. Just on that topic, do you have any advice on managing payments with clients? I think payments on time are perhaps the biggest, apart from managing time, which I mentioned earlier, are one of the biggest challenges and kind of bugbears that I've had over the last four years of trading under my own banner. Um, You know, the number of times where it's, oh, we'll, we'll pay you next week or... And they they do that because they think they can get away with it because you're a small operator, you're a small company, and they know that chances of you going after them legally are very small because you wouldn't have the time or the capital necessarily to to do that. But I think it's it's hugely important that you you protect yourself against that happening, not not just contractually, but also um, withdrawing services or 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 
not introducing them or or or, or telling in my case cancelling conversations or any ongoing ongoing communication with investors you know ultimately they're paying for a service or a product and if they are not paying on time that shouldn't be delivered i think as best you can make sure that um, payments are a lockdown in contract agreed transparent there's no uh, gray areas and uh, and people pay on time as as should you um you know it's it's a big reputational risk for you to pay late um, but also just be aware that people will try and mess you around or pay late uh, because you're small or early stage so the bolder you are at the beginning of setting out your terms and just checking that they have read those bits of the contract and re-spelling it out to them at the beginning makes for a much easier conversation at the end. I, I think so, yes. And um, trying as best you can to make sure that you're not delivering your service or product before any money has changed hands in the last position you want to be in is having delivered a service or product and then you're waiting on payment and also having having a good track record of course you know we we touched on it word of mouth referrals and again if you have uh, past clients who are happy with your work you know they are your biggest ambassadors and disciples of your of your business amazing thanks Hugo thank you Jules it's been a pleasure in this episode Hugo is kind enough to share a lot of practical advice on how to start up and something that stayed with me the most since we spoke was that those who love you the most may not be best placed to give you advice on your business if you'd like to get in touch with Hugo or find out more about Chance Capital you'll find all his contact details in the show notes plus a recap of the advice he has shared and should you have any questions for future guests, please do let me know. Thank you for listening to How to Start Up, hosted by me, Juliet Fallowfield, founder of PR consultancy for startups, Fallowfield and Mason. I hope these conversations offer you some confidence, encouragement and reassurance that you're on the right track. I would be delighted if you'd rate, review and share this podcast with anyone else who might be starting a company in 2020.